Today's guest is Brent Gleason. He's a Navy SEAL combat veteran with multiple tours to Iraq and Africa. Upon leaving SEAL Team 5, Brett turned his discipline and battlefield lessons to the world of business and has become an accomplished entrepreneur, best-selling author, and acclaimed speaker on topics ranging from leadership and building high-performance teams to culture and organizational transformation. You can learn more about his leadership philosophies in his weekly columns on Inc.com and Forbes.com. He is the best-selling author of Taking Point, a Navy SEAL's 10 fail-safe principles for leading through change. Brent is also the founder and CEO of Taking Point Leadership, a progressive leadership and management consulting firm with a focus on leadership development, business transformation, and building high-performance cultures. With degrees in finance and economics from Southern Methodist University, certificates in English and history from Oxford University in England, and a graduate business degree from the University of San Diego, he has won awards for business leadership and was named one of the top 10 CEOs in Entrepreneurs Magazine for his exemplary approach to building high-performance teams in business. It was awesome to have a guy on with such great perspectives on leadership and performance on every level. I hope you enjoy the show, and without further ado, Brent Gleason. So where did it all start for you? Now, now that I told you my entire biography in five minutes, where, where did it all start for you? Yeah, I grew up in Dallas. I did my undergrad education at uh, Southern Methodist University. Uh, got degrees in finance and economics. So I actually took a job as a financial analyst with a, a global firm based out of downtown Dallas. And at the time, I had a really close college buddy of mine who uh, had a more or less lifelong passion and dream of attempting to uh, successfully navigate the SEAL training pipeline and become an operator. And well, I thought that was highly admirable. I thought it was also a little bit unrealistic as a career path Sure, because yeah. <laughs> I hadn't had any real deep aspirations at the time for joining the military. Keep in mind, this was just right before 9-11, uh, graduated from undergrad in 1999. Hey, we're, we're, we're in the same peer group, I think. I graduated in 99 as well. Yeah, it's called being old. Yep. <laughs> now I call it a peer group, man. Come on. <laughs> oh, I mean peer group. I like that. That sounds has a much better ring to it. <laughs> and uh, and so he and I started training together. For me, it was just a you know a way to maintain fitness and you know help a friend prepare for an arduous journey. And I had read a couple books about seals of Vietnam, but never really you know done much research on the history. And I started really kind of diving into the the history of the naval special warfare community and special operations world. And, you know, I became enthralled by studying kind of the mindset, the behavior, how they build high performing teams, and obviously became pretty fascinated by that. And we started training more. I started reading more books and I started leaving the office a little bit earlier every day, much to the dismay of my boss at the time. And uh, ultimately, long story short, uh, the that growing passion and interest uh, combined with I'll be honest, the somewhat boring nature of my entry-level analyst position at this company uh, led me to the decision to, you know, have no regrets and take a little bit of calculated risk. So I followed my buddy on this uh, radical journey and joined the Navy in 2000. And we were assigned to Bud's class 235, uh, another 
notable figure from that class is my buddy David Goggins. I'm sure you know who he is. <laughs> yeah. And uh, who doesn't? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, yeah. He. Uh, we were his third class. He'd gotten injured a couple times, done okay. Hell Week twice, and we were his third Hell Week. I always joked with him. It seems like he really enjoyed Hell Week, so might as well just keep going. But uh, he decided to graduate, and we were actually both assigned to SEAL Team Five. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And obviously, at this point, 9/11 had. Uh, uh, occurred two days before we started. So you go to the pipeline, just for the listener doesn't maybe know is you go to BUDS, which is the first six months. It stands for basic underwater demolition seal. Then you go to SQT, you know, the acronyms that we love in the military, it's seal qualification training. And that's another six to eight months of advanced training. Uh, and that's where you really dive deep into learning the skills, uh, um, and, and the, the tradecraft of, of NSW. And then you go to your team. So nine 11 was a couple of days before that happened. And that's when, as you recall, the, you know, the, the immediate and now almost constant state of change that we're in in the military and, uh, you know, adapting to the enemy's adapting tactics. And, you know, I mean, even in NSW, I can only speak to that, but we, I mean, we've brought so many lessons back from the battlefield for the past 20 years. We've been constantly changing the way we train, the resources we invest in, how we're structured, how we deploy, where we deploy, <laughs> who we deploy, yeah. uh, just constant change. And I kind of write a lot about that in my first book. Um, and so now your, your first book, uh, first book is embrace the suck. No, that's the book coming out, uh, this year. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I had a backwards personal transformation and resilience. Uh, David point. wrote forward. My first book is taking point. Right. Right. Uh, okay. More of a, it's more of a, it's not a seal of war memoir. It's more of a book about business transformation, uh, organizational change, leadership, really leaning into designing a culture that achieves desired business outcomes. And Anyways, I went to SEAL Team 5, and then our task unit, we call it a troop now, uh, but uh, we were the first troop in Iraq um, in probably around, I think, April, March or April of 03 is when we arrived, and we were there to you know run capture kill missions, uh, rode around a lot of C-130s and helicopters and yeah, <laughs> stuff yeah, like that. So that's just a little bit of a uh, the history of how I you know got into the military. So Sure, and, and one thing, um, I, I, I like to look for similar, similarities in things. Uh, the process of becoming a SEAL, because I had, um, and these could be friends of yours, I had Mike Ritland on, and I had, uh, uh, gosh, Travis Kennedy, uh, who was on. He was in a, I can't remember what team, it doesn't matter. Anyways, they were telling me about their pipeline, and it it's very similar in that, I think it was Mike that was telling me that they had to wear white t-shirts, and the guys who finished buds got to wear brown t-shirts, and it's this like, this hierarchy, this... So when you start day one, like as an aviator, we got just a blank flight suit, nothing on it, just our gold bars. Right. And and the process seemed so long. It seemed like in two years, I, I might be able to fly an aircraft and maybe two and a half years actually fly aircraft into combat. Um, right. So what about that long process builds a, a character of patience, which is important? Res uh, I, I wouldn't say resilience, but I guess, yeah, I guess resilience because you yeah, got injured absolutely. and all that stuff. So So let's talk about that. Yeah, it, it is. It's a, a fascinating experiment of, of mind and body and of patience and focus and, and grit and resilience. Um, and so I'll just give you kind of brief, you know, my experience and then uh, actually some research uh, that I've looked into as far as how we're trying to uh, identify the mental, cognitive, physical and emotional attributes of students who are more likely to successfully navigate the program so that we can graduate more SEALs. It's kind of like part of our new talent acquisition strategies. Let's let's go out there and find the guys who sure, are most yeah. likely to uh, to graduate and with pressures of the training, but 
thus far, you know, time, resources, millions of dollars spent, we've gathered a lot of data, but the buds playing field is so level. It's fascinating. You'll see, it doesn't matter if you're an elite athlete, an Olympian, a scholar, what have you, everybody starts basically <laughs> at the, the same starting line and they put you every, all of you, regardless of what your background is, obviously you have to have, you know, be in peak physical condition and uh, have prepared your body to mitigate against injuries and things like that. But uh, you don't really know how you're going to emotionally respond to the stress of being in situations that you have never been in in your entire life. I don't care who you are until you get there. So starting back, before, you know, in my preparation process, when my buddy Matt and I started training, uh, you know, I talk a lot and write a lot about, you know, focusing on what you can control. I mean, that's uh, one of the bedrocks of resilience, one of the bedrocks of high performance is not wasting time, energy and emotion on things outside of our control. You know, we could talk about COVID-19 as it relates to that all day long, too. But during my training and preparation process, you know, we started in Dallas, then I moved, actually quit my job and moved to Crested Butte, Colorado to train at about 10,000, 11,000 feet for four or five months because I wanted to leave uh, fitness as the last possible thing I had to worry about. There were all these other external factors and internal factors that I knew would uh, I would have to face when you are uh, put in the crucible of, of the first few weeks of buds and then hell week and all the things that come after that, the different pass fail evolutions and the stress and anxiety and fear of failure, all that good stuff combined all at once every single day from the minute you get up to the time you go to bed. And so really, my philosophy was, and I mentor guys in the program now, is to train your body uh, as aggressively as you can in, in a smart way, uh, and that will train your mind uh, towards greater mental toughness. So continually pushing the boundary of your comfort zone, building that mental fortitude, the grit, the resilience from a physical standpoint will help train your mind to, uh, as we say, get more comfortable being uncomfortable. And so, you know, the day you check in, everybody's kind of feeling each other out. Who are these guys? You know, I'm like a financial analyst from Dallas. <laughs> you know, I was an athlete. You know, I played rugby in college and I like that sort of, you know, macho thing. And I'd been a skydiver and stuff like that. But then you see some of these other guys I'm like, wow, these guys look way tougher than me. <laughs> that guy over there doesn't smile at all. This guy over here is, you know, muscle bound and covered in tattoos. He looks tough. But at the end of the day, you could one of the interesting things is you could never handpick on day one that group of 20, 30, whoever is going to be standing taller graduation. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You would be wildly inaccurate if you tried to do that. I think Mike, Most, Mike Ritland told me that they don't, they don't make seals. They find them. So like yeah. the, there, you have your pool and there's seals amongst that group. Uh, right. and it's just trying to find out who they are. And that's, that's an amazing way to think about it. One, another interesting part of the process is not just, the past fail evolutions and making sure you're meeting the minimum standards. And hopefully they're looking these days for guys who are far exceeding the minimum standards. They don't care about the minimum standards, especially these days. And it's very, even more competitive than, you know, when I went in uh, and they weigh heavily, like in high performing business organizations out there, they weigh heavily uh, the data from peer reviews. It's not just the instructors deciding who to keep and who to drop and who to roll back, but they weigh peer review information heavily. Because they're also, to your point about finding seals, they're looking at, well, let's let's see what the class thinks about this individual and that individual, what's, what they think about each other. Are they highly accountable? Are they disciplined? Are they looking out for the guy to their left and right more than themselves? You know, do they have that fear of failure or are they willing to take calculated risk and put the team's needs or their boat crew's needs above, above their own? 
And those are the guys that typically excel in training, trying to blend in and what we call be the gray man never works. <laughs> They'll yeah. find them and root them out really quickly. Uh, and then be, of course, being in the back of the herd uh, is never a good thing either because you were uh, blessed with additional remediation <laughs> and training uh, either until you step up or ring the bell. <laughs> yeah. What's um, yeah, I, I just thought of something and then I, I was uh, thinking about the remediation of, so our schools are, were, were way different. Ours were more learn your job to the best of your ability. If you can't, you're going to probably kill someone. So we'll really go do something yeah. else. Um, talking about the resilience, I, I think immediately to uh, the Medal of Honor winner, he was a CCT, Sergeant Chapman from the Air Force, but he was with the yeah. SEAL unit. And yeah. you think, you know, I, I watched the video and I can't, I can't imagine the position that he was in alone in a uh, fighting hole, holding off the Taliban and, and surviving. And to, like, can, you can't really prepare someone for that, can you? You, you have to just find the people no. that will, that will embrace that and fight till their last breath. A hundred percent. And I, you know, I've been, you know, we, we have that saying standing on the shoulders of giants. You've heard that many times where, you know, the, we have that culture and mentality of being really enthralled and so humbled by the actions of our peers uh, and, and the warriors we fight alongside and not just in our own community, but cross functionally in other communities and, you know, the, the pilots we've worked with. And, you know, I can tell you, you know, from, being in situations where you got to call in air support, <laughs> thank God <laughs> you angels from above are up there. Cause uh, you know, when you get yourself in over your head multiple times, then uh, you know, it takes a whole team and not just your own small team, but a vast amount of additional resources and watching, you know, brave people react uh, in sometimes their first or multiple uh, very dangerous combat situations is uh, it, it is humbling and, and it's astonishing to see how leaders step up it's astonishing to see how that mentality of leadership regardless of rank title or tenure really uh, is ingrained in you even when you don't realize it that's yeah. that's one you know one testament to the training pipelines that people like you and i go through and all of our, our brothers and sisters who do so as well is you don't really know how well trained you are until you're tested uh, in, in the crucible of combat of war or of other types of arduous situations that you're going to be in and th you carry those things with you for life i mean it's i'm sure there's uh, situations you've been in and experiences you've had both in training and, and, you know, being going down range that have helped you in, in, in your career afterwards and, and maybe even in marriage and raising children or <laughs> all the other challenges that the life uh, puts in our path for the rest of our life. So. Sure. And I, I look, I think back on, on my military experience and really every veteran should, and it, and you can kind of actually put that they, you know, they look or they try to find the Navy SEALs. Same thing with the people that are willing to, and I'm talking about anyone, you know, the, the machinist in the Navy, the person who's willing to put their hand up and, and you know, swear their life on the flag uh, and on the Constitution, you know, that, that takes a very special person. And, you know, we, we focus on mental health and veteran mental health. And I think it's important for every veteran to know that that resilience is in you. I mean, you, you went through everyone went through some sort of boot camp, right? And that yeah. sucked to some extent and you made it through that. So there is some sort of mental toughness there uh, that you have and you can persevere. And, and when you get stuck into things like, I mean, I think about graduate school where I didn't see the light of day for two and a half years. Um, <laughs> you're like, you know, you know what? It, nothing is as bad as the worst day in Iraq, right? I, or, or Afghanistan. Yep. I, I don't think it yep. is anyways. 
and yeah. and it kind of gives us an edge, I think, uh, amongst amongst our our peers out in the in the business world or uh, wherever you find yourself. Absolutely, I, I write a lot about that in the new book, which is really about expanding your comfort zone to live a more purpose driven, fulfilling life, and leaning into adversity and suffering, and just kind of changing the narrative and perspective around what true adversity is. So when anybody, and you know, there's plenty of you know psychological and you know behavioral science research that shows that anybody who's gone through significant uh, suffering, whether it be in combat or being a POW or surviving, uh, you know. Um, you know, other types of, you know, arduous events or beating cancer, you know, typically research shows that they're more enlightened, uh, they're more emotionally mature, uh, happier, more content and have a, a totally different outlook uh, on life. And then when it comes to, you know, giving back, we've also seen that volunteerism and when, you know, if you're suffering from TBI or depression or anxiety or PTSD, that, you know, one of the most healthy ways to in in part uh, there's there's many ways but in part is to help someone else <laughs> who yeah. has tbi ptsd depression because once you make it not about you and you you put your hand on someone else god's going to put his hand uh, on your problems and sure. help help uh, take those away yeah i i interviewed a, a man by the name of andrew marr he was a green beret he he hit rock bottom you know he was having all the the side effects of tbi ptsd and all that stuff yeah. and he made a promise that he would not only get better for himself and for his family because his child was sick at the time but then when he got out of the the fray we'll call it he would turn around and help someone else and yeah. and he started something called the warrior angels foundation and you know they're helping veterans every day and that that's a if you can't find a vso it's because you're not looking <laughs> yeah i mean that, that's the only way you could say that well it's it, it's interesting we we I'm, I'm so glad that tbi has now become a mainstream topic and something that uh dod and active military and retired military and the VA are, you know, actively pursuing and providing uh, those types of treatments as a resource. I, I remember even two years ago in our SEAL Family Foundation board meetings, you know, the whole TBI, maybe it was three years ago, but just when, as you recall, like TBI treatments were, I wouldn't say controversial, but people were like, should we invest time and resources in this? Do they even work? Where's the science? Where's the research? And I remember the board being divided on how we should pursue this and being overly cautious about it. But it's great to see this now because, you know, it's I mean, you know this. I mean, it's not just our veterans and retired pilots and operators who suffer from TBI. It's active duty military. Yeah. It's, <laughs> if it's, you've been in any kind of traumatic situation that, that where there's some type of mild or severe brain injury and you're still on active duty, sure, you are suffering from those symptoms and the outcomes of the, of the TBI produces <laughs> while you're on the job. <laughs> or, house, uh, or high school football, high school wrestling. Uh, I boxed for a number of years. I didn't know <laughs> what I mean. I was like... <laughs> I had eight concussions in college from playing rugby. <laughs> yeah. So if you have any weird symptoms, chances are it's, it's a result of that. Um, yeah. there's a, a guy named Dr. Mark Gordon. Uh, he runs an organization called, I believe it's millennium millennium health. And he is, a, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast with Andrew Marr, my friend. And right. he, the, the cutting edge treatments that they're doing. And it's not, what's amazing is he, he took this thing of TBI where people were paying 150,000 a year on medications and medications to help with the side effects of the medications and all that. And he boiled it down to a handful of supplements that'll cost you a hundred, 200 bucks a year. And he has completely changed the game. Uh, he took Andrew from, like I said, he was at rock bottom 
to he says now he's he's better than he was before he went into um uh the army q course yeah. myself yeah. i've been doing the protocol for four months and i can honestly say i'm i'm 90 percent to where i was before i joined the air force so yeah it and and i guess it also takes the the bravery of saying hey this might not work let's try let's just try something else what are we going to lose yeah yeah the, the you know the the gear towards opioids and other types oh, of self-medication strategies and tactics that oftentimes yeah. the VA is too knee-jerk and, and, and pushing on people. When you think about the you know the brain scan and brainwave technology, and it, it's it's like you said, we've seen we've seen cases where people are uh, <laughs> they're better than they were before they experienced their even first traumatic event. Sure, uh, with their just general level of focus and. Um, and brain function. I mean, that's what it's designed to do in the first place. Yeah, so. yeah. Who, who knew that actually fixing the problem instead of medicating the symptoms would actually would actually work? I don't know. Who 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 thought? <laughs> <laughs> what was your biggest misconception about active duty? I guess it can be worded. What were your preconceptions versus reality? Uh, that's a good question. Um, obviously, a lot of things changed because I went in with a you know peacetime mentality, uh, and admittedly, of, of, you know, it's, it was more of obviously there was a call to serve and an emotional connection to uh, military service and, and giving to a cause greater than myself. But let's be honest, it was you know in large part to a personal journey, a challenge. Uh, let's you know, I think I can do this. Let's see if I've got the grit and resilience to become a SEAL, and you know maybe that'll put me on a platform to do other great things in life. Um, that's just me being totally candid. But then, uh, you know, 9-11 happened, like I said, within, you know, I was probably seven or eight months into the Navy <laughs> and going through the SEAL training pipeline and uh, and seeing the, the shift in mentality and mindset, not towards, oh my gosh, this is real. What do we do now? But to a greater level of focus and aggression. Uh, an increased level of connection to the mission narrative uh, of what was to come and and defending our nation and taking the fight to the enemy and you know protecting those who can't protect themselves and all those other cliche catchphrases I could throw at you. But um, it's it, so that that was obviously the first, um, you know, the first shift in my mindset and obviously something none of us were expecting. Um, but then I think most of my <laughs> expectations were far exceeded uh, when it came to understanding the level of camaraderie and team ability and what it means to go down range, you know, with your brothers and your sisters and all the other, um, uh, all the other branches of service that are there to, uh, to, to really fulfill a, a pretty clear and concise mission. Obviously there's lots of complexities in these VUCA environments on the battlefield, but Overall, we, we this is it's tough. We work with a lot of in, in taking point. We're a consulting firm that works on organizational development. Oftentimes, we're trying to really connect a large organization, we're trying to connect everybody in that organization to the mission, the vision, uh, their purpose, their why, and it's very, very challenging. But in the military, as you know, it's pretty clear as to what we're trying to accomplish. Obviously, there's a lot of nuances and complexities that you know that, that occur, and, and the the how of how we're going to accomplish the mission, and we're never totally aligned, but. Uh, it was interesting to see uh, what real camaraderie and teamwork does. And well, one thing that was interesting is, you know, maybe one of the, uh, you know, one of the other comments I would make is that, you know, I kind of had this vision of like this amazingly perfect culture where we're all just, 
we're all about the person to our left and right. And you know, let's be honest, you, know, you don't always like everybody. You don't always get along. Quite frankly, we're pretty hard on each other all the time, sure. even after we get out. <laughs> you know, a bunch of A-type personalities thrown into a cauldron, a big melting pot uh, with a lot of things at stake. And it can get a little messy. And But when it's time to work, and you've seen us a thousand times, when it's time to work, that switch flips and it's about the mission and it's about the team and it's not about you anymore. It's not about the beef you had with the guy, you know, at the bar last night, it's time to work. Now that might come back up later on and you'll have to address it in a, in a hopefully a responsible manner. But that was one thing that was really fascinating to me that I didn't expect to see that rapid transition from when it's time to go to work, it's time to go to work. And everybody is 100% professional. Were, were you guys, were you guys immune to the, the bullshit? And what I'll say about that is, um, so the, the Air Force is an odd organization in that, you know, the, it, the majority of the officers are the ones that are going into combat. Um, and mm-hmm. it, it's mainly a support, probably more, 85% of the force is a support per, uh, portion. And then you have their small operations portion. And so when you have this large support portion, they lose focus on the ops. I mean, just by the nature of the structure, they lose fo- focus yeah. on the ops. So we would come back after, you know, just a particularly bad day, you know, say we're bringing KIAs out of um, Baghdad or something like that. And then I would head up to the chow hall to get coffee before we go out for, you know, another six, eight hour mission. And, uh, 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 I don't know, a services colonel will see me with my sunglasses on my head or my flight suit zipped down just a little bit. And I would get ate up, you know, top to bottom. What are you doing? This is a, you know, you might be in the desert, but this is still a U.S. Air Force base. And, and you're like, golly, do you, you don't. <laughs> you're you're so far removed from the mission that you're lighting me up from myself. Yeah. Did you guys experience anything like that, or did you have like? Oh, like, like every day. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Well, it's it's you know just as you know, it all depends on kind of who's in your immediate command, who's in charge. Oftentimes, you know, different level of senior leaders have different approaches to culture and how they want, you know, your grooming standards to be. And it's, it's silly to even be thinking right now in 20 years of war that we're still focused so much on grooming standards. It's kind of a funny story without naming teams or names. But um, one of the guys I mentored uh, years ago, he's now a, he was the only kid right out of high school that I mentored. The other guys were like, you know, going in as an officer, but he was so persistent over the course. He first reached out to me when he was a sophomore in high school, this good old Christian kid from East Texas, just all he wants to do is be a dev grew operator when he was a sophomore in high school. That's awesome. <laughs> and he, he was so persistent and he's reaching out to other guys too. I was like, finally, I was like, well, you know, I can't do much for you now, but I would love to talk to you if you, you know, if you make it to buds and once you come out here, all in. And you know, I don't know, a year went by and I got a text. I got, I was just got home from the office and I was in the kitchen and I was like, Hey, it's, it's me. Uh, just checked into buds. I was like, Oh crap, <laughs> this kid's for real. Anyways, long story short, uh, they had just rotated back. This is maybe six, eight months ago. And, um, you know, I, again, trying to keep things vague, but a, you know, very high ranking NSW, uh, officer came to, you know, greet them on the tarmac and, uh, you know, just said a few words and then left and they just got off the plane from a two day journey back from, you know, their, their, their deployment in faraway lands. And the very next day, that high ranking NSW officer reached out to the CEO of their team and just blistered him about the grooming standards. Oh. These guys just got off a plane. <laughs> it's like, oh, their hair is too long. Some guys were unshaven. They're not blousing. I mean, it's just like astonishing. Yeah. These guys have come back from a pretty busy deployment. And, um, 
and they forced basically to as soon as uh, they could pass their mandated COVID isolation that they were going to have a muster. And we all know what that means in a situation where somebody's not happy. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so refreshing to know that you guys weren't immune to that. Oh, yeah. I um, Never changes. <laughs> your alarm goes off day one as a civilian. Now what? Uh, well, I always like to have a really good plan. So even prior to my last deployment, uh, I had, you know, I kind of planned my transition and, you know, admittedly, you know, you always feel, uh, or, well, I'll speak for myself, but you know, th- there's the guilt of, of getting out and moving on and pursuing other, other goals and desires and, you know, leaving your brothers and sisters on the battlefield, so to speak. But, you know, it is interesting, kind of like, t- kind of to your point earlier, where you reach back out and, you know, I stay connected to, you know, a lot of the guys and, you know, I do a lot of work through the SEAL Family Foundation and that. Uh, is fulfilling to know that I'm still serving that capacity. But um, but I stuck to my plan at the time. And quite frankly, none of us back then had any idea how long these conflicts could possibly go on. And so, you know, I made the decision that I did. I applied to grad school, you know, took the GMAT uh, before my last deployment. And then I started graduate school. I started my MBA program literally like one week after I transitioned out. Uh, it, it's, it's, it was funny too. That was another unexpected thing is, you know, once you're out, you are, you're out, you know, I was driving off the base at, especially at the, at the command there in Coronado and they cut my ID card in half <laughs> and took my, my, you know, my gym membership. And the gym. It's weird. It's a weird <laughs> feeling. I was, like, I was like, Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. It's- and so it, uh, so it was, it was a rapid transition. One of the things I'd seen is I, I didn't want to have any downtime. Uh, I've seen that, you know, too much downtime and not a specific actionable plan kind of leaves guys a little bit open to overthinking things or not thinking things enough. Right. And so, and we also see in, in, in high performers in any arena of life, oftentimes we try to take on too much as well. So you see guys get out and they're like, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. They got their irons and all these different fires. And then oftentimes we're not doing things we're multitasking too much where everything is kind of mediocre and you're not laser focused on one specific goal. So my goal at the time was to get back into business. So my transition was to go to grad school. I thought that'd be a great way to refocus, you know, mind and energy on learning something new and, you know, keeping me distracted from all the other stuff. And uh, it, it worked. And I met my former business partner in grad school and we started our first company as soon as we graduated. So it, uh, and it's been a, speeding freight train ever since now I'm married three kids one on the way by the way wow hashtag covid baby who knew i'm not a doctor my friend but uh, i used to travel like once a week and we we're like why aren't we getting pregnant not that we were really trying but we were not trying then all of a sudden who knew it just takes me you know being home <laughs> yeah i i have friends uh you know in the medical community that have kids and they're like oh i don't know how it happened i'm like really uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's pretty pretty easy if you figured it out yeah. <laughs> Um, that's great. I mean, I, I think, you know, haven't done, I don't know, 75 of these veteran based interviews so far, the people who had the most success had a plan. Uh, they didn't have that downtime. They didn't have that, yeah. you know, what, what next, you know, and, and, right. and that's usually, a, uh, like you said, it's a, it can run you down the wrong pathway. Um, so, uh, you know, like I said, a lot of these next questions are going to be more focused on after the transition as, as, and as being a, a civilian, what does this saying mean to you and how can it translate to uh, veterans that are, are struggling through transition right now? 
Take all that pain, shaking, and cold and turn it into aggression. Let it drive you. So the saying, I'm not sure where you got that, but <laughs> I'm a good researcher. Yeah, yeah. The it's the same type of, it's a saying about resilience and channeling. And this is what the second book is really largely about channeling, uh, your struggle, channeling the uncertainty, the volatility, the, the, the possible fear of failure into, uh, into positivity. And, and that's where coming, that's where having a plan comes into place and really focusing on discipline, mitigating distractions, mitigating temptation, uh, not, not chasing all the shiny objects that come our way and the opportunities, so to speak. I did big air quotes when I said opportunities. Uh, and it really comes into um, to, to focus. It comes into finding a good mentor, uh, leaning on other people, not trying to take everything on yourself, uh, doing the research, putting in the time, uh, and really, really putting all of your energy. You know, we, in the military, we go all in, you know, in our job, most of us. And the same thing is, you know, for transitioning veterans, you have to find the energy and the focus uh, and the, the help and assistance and mentorship to be able to go all in on your new life and taking all of the positive, you know, from that experience and quite frankly, taking some of the negative from that experience as well as key learnings and insights to, you know, to, to, to better navigate the other obstacles you're going to face in life. Uh, to your point earlier, which is well said, I mean, it's really about remembering that perspective you gain from service. Now, not every service member obviously sees combat, but at the same time, it's a hard job. Uh, there's a lot of politics to navigate. You're going to have all these bad days, just like in any career and remembering what perspective that gives you. So when you're out in the civilian world and you know you don't get that job offer that you thought you were certainly going to get, or you get that job and six months later, you're let go for whatever, underperformance or lack of focus or I don't know, a global pandemic, hypothetically speaking. Yeah. And remembering that, you know, those those obstacles and some of that pain um, is just a pathway to continuing to better yourself. So it, it, it's not, again, simple but not easy. Easier said than done. Um, especially when our transitioning veterans are also uh, carrying that, for lack of a better phrase, that baggage or the, the suffering from TBI or PTSD or just you know, just the lack of that camaraderie in the community that they're used to. You can't replicate it in the civilian world. Mm -hmm. Trust me, I, I have a business focused on trying to replicate it in uh, medium and enterprise level organizations, and it's virtually impossible. You can move the needle on creating camaraderie, engagement, better communication, breaking down silos, a culture of transparency and openness, but uh, really it's very difficult to replicate that type of team environment that you have uh, in the military because the stakes aren't as high. Uh, it's a different mission. And oftentimes you're surrounded by people that have a totally different mindset. They behave differently and it's, it can be confusing. And I've seen too, that the, the longer, uh, you know, our, our uh, servicemen and women stay in, you, know, you become, you know, the kind of that word like institutionalized even more because you're so used to your identity in that environment but oftentimes you feel a lack of identity and connectivity with people outside of that environment. So again, it, but it, it, it's, I always recommend that, you know, leaning on other transitioning veterans or veterans that have transitioned. And now we have like amazing nonprofit organizations uh, like Elite Mead and Honor Foundation that are designed purely 100% to help our transitioning special operators, fighter pilots, pilots and other branches of the military. Some of them are very niche and they get a little heat for that, but that's kind of, you know, that's kind of, you know, they're, they're, that's, that's where their focus is. And there's other great organizations and nonprofits that 
that, that service obviously anyone in all branches. So, you know, we didn't used to have those types of resources uh, back in the day. And now even since we've been in post 9-11, this world we've been in for a couple of decades, there's great business organizations out there that have entire divisions and business units focused on veteran initiatives and hiring veterans. So we have a couple of our clients and obviously they're you know, multi-million or multi-billion dollar organizations that have the resources to invest in this, but um, it, it's it's definitely a better environment out there um, than than it was before. And I always say this for to anybody who's reaches out, you know, any young person who's wondering about joining the military and military service. My answer is equivocally do it, whether it's three years, four years, twenty years, ten years, twelve years. You'll never regret it. Uh, for the most part, I guess, um, I'm speaking, you know, for, for myself, you sure. have some regrets, I guess, but depending on your experiences, but, um, but, you know, for people to realize that what those experiences can do for them down the road and other careers or how they approach just life in general is, uh, you can't match that anywhere else. Yeah. I think you- even if you gave someone a Ferrari and a million dollar mansion said, that's your job, you're going to find people that would bitch about that. You know, they're, they're everywhere. Um, and, and, you know, I I think it's a rarity, especially in the military. Like I said, I mean, the person who puts their hand up, uh, alone is someone who's just different, a different cut than the rest of, of folks. Um, some of my best achievements, I, 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 I think most people, it's human nature to avoid discomfort, to avoid pain, to avoid, really anything that that challenges the status quo but personally i've enjoyed everything that i've enjoyed a heck of a lot more if i had to work for it like just last weekend we did a uh, silky psych in raleigh it was i don't know 95 degrees it was miserable i mean it was raining uh 40 uh, pounds and 22 kilometers and nothing feels better than at the end of a day like that you know your body just you just, I don't know, it's a glow and it just feels so much better than if you just spent the day watching baseball and, uh, I don't know, drinking a few beers. Well, it's, it's, it's basically encapsulated like almost the entire premise of the new book. And, you know, I call it purposeful suffering and also doing things that are outside your comfort zone are wildly more rewarding than doing things inside your comfort zone and taking some risk and getting out there and saying, screw it. And I'm going to, I'm going to pursue things that I'm passionate about, even though there's an uncertain outcome. And whether you succeed or fail, whatever that definition is, uh, it's better than saying, I wish I had. Have you ever read uh, Fight Club? Scott? Uh, I haven't, actually. Okay. So yeah. what that actually is what led me uh, or ended up getting me into the military because I was in college mm-hmm. and I don't know, I was a frat guy. I just, I wasn't taking life really seriously <laughs> when I should have. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I had no, it, it's a mess. So then I read that book and I was like, oh, uh, the book gets a lot into um, don't ignore pain, don't ignore yeah. suffering, embrace it because it's it's where you are. It's the moment. If you're thinking about the past all the time or thinking about the future or self-medicating with, I don't know, like you said, chasing shiny things or drinking or whatever, yeah. you're not experiencing, you're not, you're not taking in what this life is. And when totally. I read that, I was like, you know, there is something more out there and all this stuff is just BS and, and it's made all the difference. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, he's a weirdo, Scott Palaniak, who wrote it. He's uh, whoo. <laughs> uh, now I want to read it even more. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's. Uh, he's got a bunch of books out there. Some of them just turn your stomach, but and that one to some extent, I guess, could. Uh, but it, it's it's his most digestible uh, book. And he also made a movie about it, which was pretty good too. Yeah, yeah, I, I did see the movie. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, what would you say to a veteran who may be listening to this and is focused on the idea that at one point 
he was a squad or platoon leader or, uh, you know, a, a F-15 pilot or whatever he was. And now he's working a nine to five, which he considers meaningless. I hear this story a lot from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, like you, I can name, I can think of five to 10 specific stories of very close friends who felt the exact same, uh, the exact same way. Um, my first response to that is that you have to find something that that you you find passionate uh and you know for example I, you know again no names but uh one of my closest friends kind of funny story we we actually were at the same elementary school in dallas didn't know each other and then met again and when we checked into buds <laughs> he had gone on to the naval academy and uh and we went to buds together team five together he uh did some time at team seven and then uh, when he transitioned out uh, he's a real low achiever he went to wharton for his mba wow. <laughs> and uh and then took a job at Goldman Sachs. So when you take, let's say, okay, you're like you said, you're taking a platoon or troop commander who is uh, well-educated, seen lots of combat, and now you're sitting at a desk, working a desk at Goldman uh, with someone probably younger than you with no real life experience outside of that world, telling you what to do, probably being kind of a dick. <laughs> it's, uh, and then you're kind of questioning your life choices. Is like, you know, I'm, I'm you know, the day is I'm happy or sad based on the fact that our numbers are up or down at the end of every single day. What am I doing? Like, what is this? You know, what is this environment? So uh, this is just a story to kind of, you know, narrate how I feel about it. And so what he did was I, that I really respect is he said, I'm not going to do this. I have to go find something that I can take more ownership of. So we went back and teamed up with a guy kind of like I did. He teamed up with a guy from grad school and they started an oil and gas business. Um, obviously they've had their ups and downs and he then spun off and raised money to, uh, start his own oil and gas services business. Uh, this year hasn't been great to them, but at the same time, he's one of the most focused, (laughs) resilient people I've ever met my entire life. Like if there was a goal, he will achieve it some way or the other at some point in time. Uh, he was the honor, he was the honor man of our buds class. And so that, you know, he's always had that mentality and, um, but, but, with what he's doing, regardless of the stress and the ups and downs and volatility of that industry, it's his to own. It's his stress to own. It's his passion to own. It's it's the highs are high, the lows are low, but it's his. Yeah. You know. So I would say to any veteran out there, you got to find something. It's not just don't go find a job. You're not used to having a job. You're used to having a career and, a, and being part of a team, being part of a mission overall uh, that has meaning that you that you emotionally connected to uh, to some degree at least, if not wildly. And so, and that's to anybody, I would say that to my kids, I would say to anybody, whether they served or not, you're, you're going to be more, you know, this, you're going to be more successful in any endeavor, whether it's athletic business, life, marriage, raising kids, uh, on the battlefield, what have you, if you are passionately connected to what you're doing, that emotional connection drives bud students to successfully navigate the course to the biggest pain and suffering. It's what helps you win on the battlefield. It's what help. It's what helps you save a small business that's getting hammered by a global pandemic or pivot the way you need to to generate revenue or income or or, or your own personal uh, financial well being for your family. Um, so really, it applies to everybody. But it, it just really goes back to something that simple. And, and all the research going back to the, the SEAL training pipeline. We've done a lot of research on what drives students to be successful. And the, the, the things that rank at the top are the less measurable data points around passion, uh, grit, resilience, and emotional connectivity, a deep passion for serving. And not just serving 
in the military in general, but serving in a specific field. Um, and so it's the same thing and just in life in general. And for any transitioning veteran, it's, you, you have to find something uh, that you can build a career around and something that you that has you leaping out of bed in the morning, because that also will help you uh, mitigate the other distractions of, um, you know, what you're missing from um, the things you loved about being in the military. Yeah, that, I don't want to crap on the the Zoomers, I guess we call them, the next generation, the millennials uh, and, and younger. <laughs> no, I, I, they're so easy. It's so easy. But it, it's, it is, it's an easy target. <laughs> it seems to me we had this group of people that thought they were immune to adversity. You know, they were like, they, bad things can't happen to me, right? Uh, I live in a Nerf world. And then COVID hit. And you know, I, I don't really do social media. I try to keep my, you know, I, I, I do whatever marketing marketing I can do for my show or, or you know, stay in touch with friends. But yes. I still see what people write. And it's like, you know, <laughs> no one guaranteed happiness. No one guaranteed a life without suffering. I mean, just look at our grandparents. Look at the Great Depression. Look at World War One. Look at uh, the Dust Bowl, right? These things happen. Yeah. And, you know, COVID wasn't good, but that, will it build some character? I hope, I hope there's some lessons learned if people can embrace the suck. Well, I think that, uh, it's interesting. I, I got some feedback through my, uh, my team at my publisher Hashit book group. And, uh, you know, we're reaching out for blurbs and getting some feedback on the book and things like that for testimonials and whatnot. And one of the feedback came from a, uh, you know, a, a psychologist and, and she said that, um, you know, hopefully this will become a tool for some of these younger generations to understand. I mean, again, not to harp on, the, <laughs> not to harp on <laughs> so it. So easy. Time, you know, I, I, you know, in my previous company, we had, you know, a couple hundred employees at our peak, not big, but not small. And I would say 75% of those employees were millennials. Mm -hmm. And so I really had to study the fine and subtle art of uh, leadership and management style adjustment uh, because, you can't manage a bunch of millennials like you communicate, you know, in a SEAL troop. Yeah. Shocking. You know? yeah. But uh, millennials don't respond well to waterboarding. I found that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but the, the comment was that hopefully that, you know, th this kind of thing will be a tool to help shift that mindset, especially amidst this new reality of COVID. And, you know, now there's going to be more challenges and finding new jobs and careers. Possibly, I feel like the economic ripple effects of this are going to last for years. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope I'm wrong, but most experts feel the same way. Yeah, <laughs> not maybe not to, you know, an extreme degree, but we're going to be in this for a while. And we're going to feel the economic ripple effects for, for quite a while. Oh yeah. T 2020 is one of those red letter years. I mean, it, it's it, just like nine 11. We're going to talk about life prior to nine 11, life after nine 11, life prior to 2020. God, I'm so I'm, I'm ready for this. Ready for this shit show to, to be over. Hey, you um, know what? And, and thank you. Thank you. Because without all this, we'd be super bored. Wouldn't we? Buddy? That's true. That's what you yeah, embrace the suck. Absolutely. Sometimes it's like, uh, there's a great book out there written by, uh, gosh, I, I'm not going to be able to remember his name. Uh, a big fan of him. He, he wrote the perfect storm, uh, yeah. Sebastian younger, and it's called yeah. tribe. And he talks about yeah. people that survive through adversity tend to look back on say the blitz in, in great Britain and say, wow, those were the good old days. And you're like, what? <laughs> you had buzz bombs coming over your head, but it, it's, it's just, I guess it's the way that you, you digest it and you internalize it. What? It's like, I mean, just the, the simplicity of, you know, looking back on SEAL training, you, you, res, you, you remember and, and reflect on 
the you know the positives you you, you don't wallow in them like, god i can't believe the how bad the chafing and my bone fractures hurt during hell week you're you're like wow i'm so glad i experienced that i'm so glad i made that decision i'm so glad i had those experiences with those friends that i've made that i have for life now it, i think our brains just in general any type of adverse situation we tend to think about uh the more positive memories and the more positive things we've gained from them uh, than the negatives in general. Obviously, that's that's a very broad statement, but uh, but I, sure. I agree with you. I like to ask this of my special operators: taking money out of the pitcher, which round would you rely on if it was your only round ever again? Think about the apocalypse here: the five point five six, the three hundred blackout, the seven point six two, and I'll let you choose uh, by five one or, or three nine, or some wacky round like a six five Creedmoor or three three eight Lapua, four fifty eight Silcom. Getting a little over the top. I'd have to go with the seven six two. Okay, yeah. <laughs> If you're gonna if you're gonna carry the M60 around, you're uh, you hate it at the time, but uh, when those bullets start flying, you're like, you know what? I'm glad I've got the pig in my hands. And you know, you, then you pick up the M4, you're like, what is this? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my last seal said the 300 blackout with a. I think it was he has a Sig Rattler with a five inch barrel, and he said he can reach out. To about 200 yards with it. If yeah. you have to go beyond that in the apocalypse, and you're you're in the wrong area, and you have to <laughs> boogie. It's like, yeah, it's a good Love answer. It. Love it. Great answer. Um, how about pistol? Would you do nine mil, 45, 10 millimeter? Again, your, your choice. We've, it's funny in the, in the teams now we've transitioned away from the, the SIG to the Glock 19, mm -hmm. uh, which is a phenomenal weapon. I love uh, the I, Glock 19. I, I, yeah. I've taken to that. I got one. So I guess I, I get it. I, again, I'm not a, like a lot of guys. I'm not an avid studier of the newest technology when it comes to weapons these days. I'm too distracted by work and kids and stuff like that. But sure. uh, yeah, I would probably go with that weapon. Uh, I got the Glock 45, which is basically a Glock 19 with a Glock 17 handle. It's a great gun. Every now and then, a bunch of us go up to uh, a farm up the road and we go shooting, and it's nice. a lot of fun. All right, who played the best Navy SEAL on the big screen? Was it Mark Wahlberg, Charlie Sheen, Bruce Willis, or Demi Moore? It's <laughs> <laughs> a very dangerous question. <laughs> I mean, you got to keep it old school. I got to go with Charlie Sheen, man. Yep. See, we're uh, again, I got I to respect my brothers of this generation, but uh, just for at least some humor's sake, Charlie Sheen for sure. <laughs> we are, yeah, we're the same. We're on the same wavelength there because again, we grew up around the same time. So it was, <laughs> yeah. yeah I remember all, as a kid. Yeah. I mean, group. Group. I, group. I thought all Navy SEALs had a mullet with a red bandana. Or, or <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I'm sure. Well, there are some. I think we're. I think the mullet's going to come back. <laughs> uh, is David Goggins? as intense in person as he is on uh well basically wherever you see him wherever he is today <laughs> yeah absolutely this is a if you don't mind a little bit longer question sure. because i have had the experience of going through buds and hell week and sqt and being at a same the same team with him now we we didn't work as much together at the team because we were in different troops uh and you know how that goes you're off doing totally different training cycles mm -hmm. different deployment cycles but um but where you really you know learn about someone in that environment is is in buds and sqt and seeing how they respond in hell week and uh the answer is simply put yes and then in to some degrees uh more so <laughs> in person depending on the situation i mean only only a, a small group of people can say they've been through hell week you know with this guy that guy or someone like david goggins and seeing how those people respond seeing how anybody responds not to put david on the pedestal that he's already on but love you, david. <laughs> Just kidding. but um but yeah, I, I have some distinct memories. <laughs> just remember, we were in the same boat crew too. So not just in Hell Week together, but in the same boat crew in Hell Week. Wow. And uh, I remember, and I, there was another guy named Drew in our boat crew. Just like these guys were hard, hard dudes. I knew that from from pretty much from the first couple of weeks. 
And, uh, you know, we're still all friends today. We still talk and, and whatnot. And I know both, uh, I had a fractured elbow, Drew and David both had fractured shins, both shins during Hell Week. Uh, <laughs> and uh, David was able to kind of move on and, and Drew got rolled back because it was too unbearable. But what I respect is they kept their mouth shut during med checks and just gutted it out till Oof. the end. Um, you know, we, we had a, not as a quick aside, uh, just to put some things in respect, we had a, a very unique experience in Hell Week because our class leader actually passed away. Um, he was a very, very well-respected um, officer, intel officer in the NSW community, then an intel officer at Team One, uh, and then was, you know, f- picked up for for the BUDS program, uh, was our highest ranking guy, so he was our class leader. And uh, during hell, we were a winter class, uh, not that, it, you know, it's pretty level again, but, you know, winter, I'll just be honest, winter hell, we suck. I mean, water temps in San Diego were in the 50s, and... Uh, he, you know, a lot of guys, you enter hell week predominantly either having some level of injury or illness. Uh, nobody enters hell week clean, rarely, uh, you're either sick or injured or both. And he had caught some pretty bad pneumonia. It got worse and worse as the days went on. Uh, and then we were doing a pool exercise, uh, and he suffered from based on the pneumonia, pulmonary edema, his lungs filled with oh, fluid man. and he more or less drowned in the pool. Yeah. I read uh, about that. I read about that a few years ago. Yeah, it, um, I, I touched briefly on it in my first book and, and again in the second book, but super well-respected guy and just, you know, great, great core values, phenomenal leader, um, really, uh, really a guy to, to look up to. But but yeah, no, I, that's a long answer. But uh, yes, David is as intense, sometimes more intense yeah. <laughs> than you see on an Instagram video. Sure. Um, yeah, you said you said pneumonia and I, you know... I, I guess if you're always active and if you're staying fit and, and things don't really, you know, you can be in your forties and you don't really feel the effects of being in your forties if you're keeping active. Yeah. Uh, and then last year, just cause of the nature of my job, I, I was around people with uh, the flu and I caught the flu and it turned into pneumonia. First time in my life I was ever, I was like, oh, this is what deal well, this is what dying feels like. I yeah. was, I had never been that sick. And then three months, four months after I tried to do an adventure race and I, again, first time in my entire life, I had to stop and walk because I was just not there. I was just physically not recovered. I thought I was, but yeah, pneumonia is no joke. That will kill you very, very quickly. Well, it seems too, at least, and I'll speak for myself, that now in my, you know, I'm 43, mm-hmm. uh, I'm you're probably similar age. Yep. Uh, I do see that you, we have to work harder at recovery. Uh, <laughs> In our forties and whereas back in our twenties and thirties, like recovery was no problem. It just automatically happened. And now, uh, we have to work harder at those fitness goals as well as work harder and be more cautious about and thoughtful about how we engage in recovery and take care of our bodies. Cause, well, you know, yeah. we're in that. Well, <laughs> right before we started talking, I took my buddy tape off my fingers here because lifting sandbags uh, for exercise, I tore a, I mean, it's, it's, it's just going to happen and it takes a little bit long. Uh, you know, we could talk about being old art this yeah, entire show. Yeah, throw my back up, pick it up a four-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, used to be badass, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bourbon, wine, beer, or water? Uh, can I go with vodka? I suppose you can. Uh, but out of those, I would go with, I would go with, uh, probably go with beer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you still in Texas? Uh, no, uh, we stayed in San Diego. So. Okay. Okay. I um, go back to Texas a lot. Yeah. We're, me and my I've wife. twice during COVID and both trips were to Texas. Well, we're thinking about going next week. Um, we're going to scope it out because it's getting a little, getting a little weird here in North Carolina. 
and um, everyone seems to be heading to Texas. So we're gonna we're going well, on a recon mission. It's funny. I uh, I was just having the same conversation on a podcast I was doing earlier today um, about, or no, it was a conference call with a potential client. But um, you know, I have first, for example, I have three buddies, uh, a couple of whom were originally from Texas, but all living in Manhattan. Well, they all live in Austin now. Yeah, I have uh, like everybody's moving to Texas. Um, it in uh, Austin, for example, seems it's like the new Atlanta. Atlanta used to be like the hot place for young professionals to move and things like that. And obviously, we're in a totally different environment now. But uh, it's 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 popular. The tax basis is great. Cost of living, it's getting up there, but it's nowhere near you know some of the other places. Yeah, yeah. Ironically, um, one of my closest friends is a, a, a tier one special mission unit team leader, um, Marco, and he wrote No Easy Day and No Hero. Um, and I'm assuming you know who he is, but uh, they're moving to North Carolina, so <laughs> they're doing the opposite of you. <laughs> North Carolina, it's it, it, you bought, know they basically bought like a ranch and a bunch of land, and they're building a house. And... Oh wow, good for them! See, that's exactly what we're looking for down there because my we, we live in like you know Pleasantville, and it's it, I want to I want my kids to have to take care of a horse. You know, I want my kids yeah. to have to I don't know wake up early because they have to, or something you know something depends on them and. And here in, in Yuppieville, it's like, it's not, I shouldn't say that. Trust me, I'm like nodding my head. Away. <laughs> it's <are> soft. Um, <laughs> um, where can people find about the SEAL Family Foundation? Uh, so the website for the SEAL Family Foundation is sealfamilyfoundation.org. Okay. Uh, has all the information, obviously, on our programs, initiatives, and um, obviously not just ways to donate, but the other initiatives we have in place. We're not obviously doing a lot of live events right now, but we have other types of virtual events, fundraisers. I've been doing some town hall interviews. I interviewed uh, General Mattis, Jack Carr, um, Dan Crenshaw over the past couple months because we're trying to you know, like everyone else, pivot and find ways to do virtual yeah. uh, interactivity with potential donors. So. Awesome. And where can folks find Taking Point is out and then the um, Embracing the Socket? When does that uh, Embrace the Socket's up. It's available for pre-sale okay. uh, on Amazon. So if you just, you know, obviously do a Google search for Embrace the Suck, Brent Gleason, Amazon, what have you. It's also on my website. My speaking website is brentgleasonspeaker.com. Company website is takingpointleadership.com. And my wife and I just launched a new uh, brand of CBD products geared towards veteran wellness. And the company brand name is called Veteran Wellness. Awesome. So the, uh, and we give 20% of the proceeds of every sale back to veteran health initiatives. So That's incredible. That website's veteran-wellness.com. I'm, I'm going to check that out because I do my own little, um, uh, I guess we can call it. Uh, so in, in medicine, we say N equals a 95. And, and that's the number of people you have to study till you can find some sort of outcome. So I do a lot of my own personal studies where N equals one, it's me. And <laughs> if, and I've done, you know, three months of CBD and then come off for three months. And I can absolutely say sleep, um, focus, recovery. Oh man, it works. It works so it well. Does. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. I, I, I was, I'll, I'll be honest, I was a skeptic, but, uh, when it comes to sleep, even the, the, some of the anxiety, uh, CBD oils that we have, um, it helps. It helps a lot. Even some of the pain salves um, are, are are very beneficial. So I should get some for my hands. I'm, I'm a believer, which yeah. is good because we started a whole company around it. <laughs> well, if you can go on to something called PubMed, it's where we basically, if you're in medicine, you read about something, you say, all right, I'm going to go to PubMed and look up all the studies on it. I, right. I, I go in there to look for the negatives of whatever people are doing. And I, I can't find any with CBD, um, maybe with vaping it or something like that. But people are just taking these tinctures or however else or, or, or topicals. Oh, 
when you have all this research on va.org, yeah, uh, it's probably one of the most conservative organizations in the world. Uh, you know, there's something there. And then what is it? Two or three days ago, you probably saw this, but the DOD approved not digestibles, but for, um, uh, for, uh, I forgot what the general term is, but things like the salves and the rubs, um, CBD products that they approved those for active military, which up until a few days ago was absolute no go. Um, but, uh, sure. It- so- there's a shift in thinking there. And uh, my last thing is, when can we get you to come on a Reverend Warrior Silky's hike? San Diego, they have one. Actually, do you know what? I yeah, do when, are, when are they? I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to pull it up here. It's, it's, Let me know, man. It's I've, a, got, I've got spare time. It's uh, <laughs> it's a good time. Uh, let's see. San Diego is, well, there's one in LA, but that's a little north of you guys, right? Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, I, I go to, I'm going to LA tomorrow. I go there all the time. Oceanside, is that near you? Closer. Yeah. That's we're in North County, San Diego. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's like 20, 30 minutes away. Okay. So Oceanside, California, October 3rd. And the other one that was up in LA, I think it's the first year they're doing that. That's on November 7th. It's a, it's a ton of fun. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a bunch of, bunch of veterans getting together and doing what we do best. And that's make fun of each other and sing songs and yeah 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 all right uh thank you yeah, thank you please, uh, please keep me posted on that let me know i'll put it on my calendar but obviously just for further information logistics details etc keep me posted yes absolutely uh thank you for coming on if it wasn't for veterans like yourself who are sharing their stories you know we wouldn't have this thing and uh they actually reach people believe it or not we are reaching people with these stories people tell me all the time they're like hey i heard so and so talk about this i'd like to try that and i connect people and it, it works out really well so thank you very much well, thanks, man. I, I love what you're doing and please keep in touch. We'd love to do it again. Definitely in for the silky hike and, um, you know, love to, we'll, we'll talk offline, but we'd love to, uh, send you a copy of my first book and, you know, some of these CBD products too. Yeah. Love, love feedback too. Just in general. Yeah. As you're saying that, I'm thinking I want to do a, a special episode because there's a bunch of people that do CBD stuff, uh, have people come on and, and talk about it. I think that'd be a cool episode. Yeah. That'd be cool. We'll do awesome. a panel. Discussion. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, my friend. Um, And we'll be in touch. Thanks, brother. Talk soon. Thanks for having me. All right. No problem. Bye-bye. See you.